Well, we're in our final message of the series on financial fitness, and it's been quite the ride. And as we think about money, most of the time, we feel uncomfortable. There's just something about talking about money that causes an unease. In fact, if I asked you to raise your hand, there would be many of us that would even testify that it makes them uncomfortable such that they want to avoid the topic altogether. And yet, for most of us, we can't avoid it. You drive through Starbucks, and you're making financial decisions. You're deciding, am I going to get the simple cup of coffee, or am I going to get something like what I call a frou-frou drink? right? Something with a little more to it. And then you can just keep adding and adding. Do I want it with soy milk? Do I want it with oat milk? And all these things start costing just a little differently, right? We can't really ultimately avoid it. We try to ignore it. But when we look at other areas, we go out and buy a car. Am I going to spend $10,000 on a car? $15,000 on a car? Right? We're constantly trying to make decisions about money. You go out and you buy clothes. Am I going to spend this on clothes or am I going to spend something else on clothes? You go out and buy a house, right? You look at the house. You say, I want this in the house. I want this in the house. I want this. And pretty soon you have this big, long wish list. But the reality is you can only afford so much house. So it's something that we might want to avoid. As uncomfortable as it may make us, but really, ultimately, it's impossible. That's why this series was so important. As I wrap it up this morning, I want to ask one question. I just want to leave it before all of us. Whether you're here in person or whether you're online, here's the question. What would God say about how you handle money? Not what would your neighbor say, not what would the world say, Certainly not what the devil would say because he doesn't really care whether you're in debt or whether you're drowning in excessive spending. But what would God say about how you're handling his money? If you have your Bible this morning, I want to read just a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have a device, I would really encourage you to get to this passage. It's only a couple verses we're going to look at, but they have such power in the punch. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Would you just pray with me for a moment and let's ask God to speak to us right where we are, right where our questions might be. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we know that Money sometimes makes us uncomfortable. Many of us want to avoid it. But we want to understand better what you would say to us about how we handle the money that you've entrusted to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this morning as we, we look at that, we look at this, this passage, and it becomes very, very simple. Let me just highlight a couple things very, very quickly in this passage so that we can see it together. Certainly, we see at the beginning here a person without the Spirit, right? That becomes very, very clear. And then he tells us some things about that person. And we'll explore them a little deeper in just a moment. And then there's the person with the Spirit. And so that nobody is lost, we can see the simplicity of what he's talking about, is that he's bringing us into a place where there's two types of people. Now, the two types of people we just saw, right? There's the two. Either you have the Spirit of God, or you do not have the Spirit of God. Then he tells us some things about this. And that's what I'd like to just take a moment and look at what he says about this. He first of all says that the person that has not the Spirit or does not have the Spirit does not accept the things of God. Now certainly in the context, he's talking about salvation. He's understanding how powerful the cross is. That's the whole pressing point of chapter 2. But what we want to do is we recognize that the cross changes everything about our lives. It doesn't just change the way we look at spiritual things of our sin, but it changes the way we look at life, marriage, and of course, as we're in the series, it changes the way we talk about money. And so what the Spirit is doing is changing the way we think about money and changing our heart attitudes about money. But the person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things of God. They, they turn against it. Look what it says there. It says they consider the things of God foolish. So when we talk about generosity, as we've woven that in, that just seems really strange to the people that don't have the Spirit. Now we're not talking about a generosity that is what the world looks at, where you might just throw a couple dollars at something, but where we have a heart attitude. That's why the series is about fitness, but the heart matters about this. Paul tells us something else. He says we cannot understand the things of God without the Spirit, and that becomes so, so true. But then the person with the Spirit, look what it says. It says that they make judgments about all things. They're able to look at things like money and make serious, discerning conclusions. That's why I love what Pastor Brad said just a few moments ago, is that God's Spirit is changing the way we think. And we should all have some kind of takeaway as we look at this series. Now, in John 15, Jesus was with his disciples the last night, and, and he said this when it comes to this idea of the Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit was going to change us and direct us, but he said the world hates you because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's a strong word. That's not my word. That's the word Jesus uses about this contrast between those with the Spirit or without the Spirit. Well, as we look at this, what I'd like to say is that he talks about spiritual people. Those are people with the Spirit. They have the mind of Christ. Spiritual people have the mind of Christ. And that changes everything. And then he tells us this, right? He says that they know the Lord's will or they know the things of the Lord. 
And then he also says that they're instructed by the Lord. So spiritual people, people that have the Holy Spirit, we have two things. They know the Lord's mind and they're instructed by the Lord. Now I've already alluded to John 15. This was Jesus last night with his disciples. He's in the upper room and he's bringing them into some of the deepest truths of what would lead them in power and differences in this world. So in John 14, 16, he says, as I leave this earth, I'm not abandoning you as orphans. I'm sending another comforter or actually counselor. Someone who is going to teach you and lead you just like Jesus had done on this earth. In John 14, 26, he says, the counselor will teach you all things and remind you of everything. So when Jesus, as we saw last week and the week before and the week before, Jesus talked about money a lot. He wasn't afraid to weave it into illustrations as he talked about kingdom things things he says the spirit those who have the spirit will be reminded of these things in John 15 26 it says the comforter or the counselor the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus and the things that matter to Jesus so when we use a phrase like Jesus says lay up treasures in heaven the counselor the Holy Spirit is going to remind you to do those kinds of things. John 16, 13, the counselor will guide you into all truth. Now, why am I walking us through this? Because sometimes we feel alone and abandoned in this world and the world's messages start pounding us. And we need to know that the Spirit of God is working against the ways of the world and leading us into truth. John 16, 15, it says this, the Spirit will make it known to you. Make it. What's the it? The things of Jesus. The Spirit will bring these things alive to us. Now, when we talk about money, here's a few areas that I think the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. And it's so counter to the world. Here's the first one. The Spirit is telling us over and over, security is in God alone. The world wants you and me to think that security is in our bank account. Security is in our portfolio. Security is when I have enough money to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And actually, the Bible is going to move against that and say that's a dangerous place because the securest place to be is in the hands of the Lord. Secondly, the Spirit is going to remind us over and over that we need to live for eternity. It's so easy in this world to start living for the moment. We start living as if this moment that we have on earth is the most significant thing in the world. And what Jesus does is he expands it and he says, wait a minute, don't live for this time on earth, live for eternity and the spirit the counselor is going to continually remind us of this truth let me give a third one the spirit is going to remind us over and over to be generous because that's the heart 
of God. So as we look at this passage, as we think about it, let me just put it in the form of a grid, right? You can see it. There's two kinds of people, and there's two economies. There's God's economy and the world's economy. The person without the Spirit is going to be foolish when it looks at God's economy. They're going to say, security? Are you kidding me? It's not till I have enough in the bank that I'm secure. But the passage we're reading is telling us it's God's economy, the things of God that will make us wise. But it doesn't leave us there. Let me go to another. Is that the person with the Spirit looks at God's economy as wise and the world's economy as foolish. See how these kinds of things play out. And it's being done by the Spirit of God because the person with the Spirit can begin to discern these differences. Now, I'm grateful for this, this grid. It was from a friend of mine, Ethan Pope, and he helped me see or looked at a way of looking or framing this passage. But as we go a little bit deeper into this, let me just take us to another place and let's look at some areas of where this plays out for us that might help us. So the setup is certainly that there's two types of people and there's two economies, right? Are you with me? The two economies. When I use the word economy, we're talking about the idea of how we handle money. How we handle money. A way to look at this maybe is you are the captain of a ship and there is precious cargo on your ship. But you are not the owner of the ship. The owner says, I want you to bring my cargo to this port and then this port and this port. And the captain is responsible for getting it, the cargo, from port to port to port. Are you with me? So it's handling God's money. You are the captain. God has entrusted his cargo to your care and now you have to get it to there so let's look at a couple areas the first one we want to look at is security in God's economy it's from God alone but in the world's economy it tells us that it is tied to wealth and prosperity or what we possess or what we have now here's a line that I've used over the years and I think it's a helpful helpful one my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. So if I'm investing in this world and my security, my heart is going to go there. If I invest in God's economy, God's plan, my heart is going to go there. And that is one of the choices that we need to make. And so when I ask the question, how does God view how you're handling money? Basic question is, uh, is your heart security in the things of God? Because your heart's always going to go where you put God's money. We're never going to escape that. But let's look at another area, debt. Now, debt is interesting because in God's economy, he says, be careful, be judicious, be cautious but the world says leverage all you can in fact i've heard this phrase over and over use other people's money to make money 
And that's becoming very, very popular. And we can debate the wisdom of all that, but when that thing goes sideways because you've used other people's money, we now have laws to protect the foolishness of that kind of investment. It's called bankruptcy laws. And people can use this to get out of bankruptcy and never hold ultimate responsibility. So we have to ask ourselves over and over, am I going to look at debt the way God does, where God talks about we're in bondage when we're in debt. We feel the control of it. You buy too much house, you feel the bondage of it. You buy too much car, you feel the bondage of it. You buy too much coffee at the end of the month, all of a sudden you're saying, oh, i got to cut back somewhere else. And where's the easiest place to cut back? Usually in the area of generosity. Let's look at goals. The Bible, or God's economy, says let's have an eternal perspective. But the world's economy says you only have 80 to 100 years here. You want to end well, you want to end comfortable, so pour in all the money you can into this world. Let's look at one last one, giving. The Bible talks about generous giving. That's God's economy. But the world says, give what's left over. Right? So giving becomes another area. There's generous giving or give leftovers. Interestingly, when we talk about Jesus, in his famous message called the Sermon on the Mount, he gave an illustration about love. And his illustration was, you've heard it say, love your neighbors. And he turns that all over and he says, love your enemies. But interestingly, when he gets to loving your enemies, he uses an illustration of generosity. He says, the Father in heaven causes the rain, which is generous, to fall on both the good and the evil. There's a picture of love as being generous. It's not loving when someone has a need and we are not generous with them. So as we look at this this morning, we want to be careful of what we do and these differences that make a difference. All of them make a difference as we look at what God is doing. Well, as I want to wrap up some things in the message and in the series. And if you're texting, if you have some questions about something I've said, please feel free to text. The number is on the slide. It's important if you're online, we want you to participate in the texting. Please take a moment to do that. But let's look at some roadblocks that we have in these various things of uh, living in God's economy. And here's the first one, ignorance. Ignorance. That is, we just don't know. Now look at what it says here in Ephesians 4, 17 uh, and 18. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. You see that phrase? He's using that phrase to tell us that these are people that don't have the Spirit. And he goes on and makes that clear. They're futile in their thinking. And they're darkened in their understanding. So Paul lays this out. They're separated from the life of God, which means they don't have the Spirit of God in them. And look what happens. It's because of the ignorance that is in them. 
due to the hardening of their hearts. Ignorance can also be true of God's people. We can resist or even shut out the work of the Spirit and we will be ignorant to the things that God wants to do in our hearts. That's why Paul's warning him, no longer live as the Gentiles. He wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't possible for you and me to be living like people without the Spirit. Well, look what he says in 2 Peter. Now, we studied 1 Peter in the fall, and we've learned that in 1 Peter there was a lot of suffering that was going on. People were being ostracized. They were being pushed out of their spiritual community. Well, in 2 Peter, it's some of the same themes are coming forward, and there's some false teachers. And these false teachers were saying, you can't believe the things of God. You can't trust the Word of God at that point, talking about the Old Testament. But Peter... Look what he says, so I will remind you. The point is, is that you and I need to be reminded of these things. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying you and I, so that we're not ignorant of the plans of God, he's writing, we need to be reminded. And so a roadblock to the things of God, the things that we're talking about, in terms of security, living with an eternal perspective, and being generous, We need to be reminded of these things. And then look what he also says. I think it is right to refresh your memory. I just say, that's why it's so important that we're in church. I know that we live in a day when when all kinds of things can happen and, and all of a sudden the spiritual community is not all that important. But Peter was writing to these people so that we would be refreshed in our memories. We would be reminded of these things as a community because we need these things. This morning, I was reading a short article about some people that were escaping from North Korea. Interestingly, they were longing as they found Christ to be connected with other believers. It's because of our comfort. It's because of our ease today that we can almost dispense with community. But people that are really in the trenches, people that are really on the front lines, they're finding that they need the things of God. But let's go a little more to another roadblock. And the second roadblock is this idea of unbelief. Look what it says here in Hebrews 3, 15 and and 19. The writer, he says, has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So there's a place where we can harden our hearts. That is pushing us into unbelief. People will say, I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going to live with eternity in mind. I'm not going to live with my security in God because it becomes scary. And it's an issue of belief. Look what the writer goes on and says in verse 19. See that they were not able to enter, enter what? The rest of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. Why? Because of their unbelief. It's a huge roadblock to how we live with money, our unbelief that God will ultimately take care of us. So it's a fundamental question. 
do you believe that God will take care of you? Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Because the world is telling you, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. And that's just not what the Bible is saying to us. Over and over, unbelief becomes the issue. Well, let's look at the third roadblock, and it's this one, it's fear. I think a lot of us live in fear and frustration, and it's because of what we're told about money. Look what it says in 1 Peter. We've already talked about Peter writing to the people he did. He said, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So when God says, be generous, because God is generous, or when he says God loves a cheerful giver, he says, you are blessed. Do not fear the threats. Do not fear and we need to be told that. We need to be reminded that over and over. We do not need to be afraid. Look what it says in Matthew 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They said, and cried out in fear. This was a place, right, where Peter was being called to step out into the storm. And God is calling us to step out and believe what he says about money. And it can be like a tumultuous storm. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Well, what was the point? It said Jesus is with them. He will sustain us. So fear will rob us of the joy of all that God wants for us. And a lot of people today live in bondage because of fear of money, thinking that they have to control it all. Well, let me wrap up with the question. I want to bring us back to the question I talked about at the beginning of the message. But let's put it in a context. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that Jesus asked 300 and seven questions he just lobbed out question after question and the reason he did that was to get you and me to think how would we answer it so let me give you a couple of the questions jesus told a story in luke chapter 18 about a woman he was actually teaching about prayer and he was teaching about a woman who kept knocking on the judge's door and finally he gets to the question when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? That was one of the questions Jesus asked. Now, on the flip side, do you know how many questions Jesus answered? Out of all the questions that he was asked, he only answered seven. But here, he's asking you and me the simple question. When he returns, will he see that you've trusted him? Peter uh, or was uh, with Jesus at a particular time uh, called the Transfiguration. Remember, uh, right before Jesus was crucified, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John to a place, and he asked this, Peter, who do you say I am? It's a good question, but it's a question to you and me too. That's why Jesus is asking these questions. He's asking you, when he returns, will there be faith? He's asking you. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he trustworthy? 
And on and on they go. So let me ask just the final question. Do you want to be considered wise with your money or foolish with the money that God has entrusted to you? What would God say about how you have handled his money? You're the captain of the ship. He's the owner. The cargo is being distributed to all different ports. It's going into your home. It's going into your children. It's going into your community. It's going into your church. What would God have to say about how you're distributing the cargo that he owns? Let me go ahead and turn us now to a time of some questions. Uh, we can look at these different things together. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Lori to come on up here and help me with some of the texting. Uh, Lori uh, and her husband and family, they've been part of Fox Valley Church for a long time. Could we welcome Lori up here? And Not always easy, but Lori... Uh, serves in a number of areas in the church, and one of the areas uh, she participates in is in worship and helping us out from time to time. So I don't know if any questions we came in. We had quite a few, Pastor Tom. So okay. We, yeah, so we had quite a few that came in. So we'll go ahead and get started. So um, I, we had a couple come in about um, married couples that weren't necessarily on the same page when it comes to finances. So I'm going to go ahead and answer um, this one. So this one says, how does a married couple move forward in generosity if they do not agree where to give after they give to their church? If they are drawn to give to different countries, ministries, organizations, should they split the money and then give to where God is leading them individually? Hmm. If we have the mind of Christ, why isn't there unity in this area? Whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry, I started Could you with a, a... <laughs> throw a softball question first? I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, remember I've said a, a couple things, but one of the things I'd like to bring back is my heart always goes where I put God's money. So the issue, as you can see, is a heart division. I heard this. I, I don't know if it's original with uh, him or not, Michael Jr. Uh, he said this. If you don't give 10%, just off the cuff, Pastor Brad used the phrase training wheels. Right. He said you're just stealing from God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. My point is, the tension seems to be in three areas, and those were the roadblocks. The husband or the wife, depending right. on which one it is, uh, may be struggling with ignorance. They just don't understand God's way of handling money. Or it could be fear. One of the people in the marriage is just living in fear. Mm -hmm. That's a bondage, a spiritual bondage and an issue of the heart. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other one, what was the other one I had? Unbelief. Unbelief. So you got fear, unbelief, and then ignorance. And so I think the way you handle this just very, very practically is through prayer yeah. and conversation and the Word of God. Only God can change the, the heart. Right. And so I think, Lori, it's a great question. It's a hard question. And I think we need to persevere in prayer. I think we need to recognize that over the series, we talked about God rewarding generosity. So that's an issue of belief. Do we really believe that? So I think there needs to be conversation, prayer, uh, and then just trusting that God's going to work uh, in this. I do know that ultimately uh, there is... Uh, division in this, right? They say that one of the main conflicts in marriage is money. Yeah. It's just one of the top three. 
And, and so I think it's an area that we need to talk about. And that's why we do a series like this. Let's see what God yeah. wants to do. Yeah, and Satan would like nothing more than to get in the middle of something like this, which is an easy, I think, thing for couples to, like, argue about mm. the finances, and it's something that we hold so tightly to. And I think that that's one place where we really do need to go in prayer and that's really good. listen to the Spirit because it's an easy place for Satan to get a foothold, and we and don't want that does, to happen. And he does, doesn't he? Right? There's probably sure. not one married couple in here that doesn't see yeah. how the enemy. That's yep. great, great insight. Yep. Okay, so here's one. Maybe this is a little bit easier. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so is the 10% tithe only limited to financial gifts, or does that include your service using your talents and your time also? <laughs> good question. I think sometimes we try to dice these questions uh, very, very tightly. In the Old Testament, we talk about the tithe. So you could see in Malachi yeah. 3, uh, he talks about the tithe and, and giving 10%. By the way, we use the word tithe, and sometimes it just means giving. But the Bible uses the word tithe for 10%. When you read your Old Testament uh, and, you, and you look at all the giving, it's not 10%. It probably is somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 30 30 okay. percent. Now, where do I get that number? Well, there was the gift and offerings, the 10 percent, but also because it was an agrarian culture, God said, make sure you don't harvest all the way around your field. Leave some of the crop in the field so that people could come and harvest. Well, you've got to add that on. Every once in a while, God would say, you need to take a break, leave the ground right. fallow. And, and so there was this loss, and, and there's all this giving that, that takes place way beyond the 10%. So I think we need to have a different attitude about the 10%. Okay. I think it can become a legalistic thing. Right. There's some people that say, I have made a plan, I'm going to give, and, and, uh, and that's it, I'm going to give 10%. For me, one of my takeaways in this series has been constantly thinking about, can we give more? Right. Can we find other avenues to give, not only to Fox Valley Church, but to other areas that God has laid on our heart? And that grows our heart of generosity. But now I want to flip the question. I think the real question for many of us is not how much I give, but how much am I living on? Mm. You, you see, that That's goes good. in a whole new direction. Yeah. Because when we start asking, what can I give? We start asking almost as if I'm the owner and I'm merely the captain. Yeah. But I need to ask the owner, what do you want me to live on? What am I going to trust him? And then give the rest away. And let me make a final comment. Uh, we had a, a financial seminar here for our seniors uh, last year, and one of the things the speaker brought to us was it's time, because of the amount of wealth being passed down to generation to generation, he's saying it's time for people with this wealth to stop passing it all to their kids. Now all the kids here are screaming out, <laughs> no, no, no! But what he was saying was, we are not serving the next generation well if we just load them on with all kinds of wealth that they have not earned. We need to think carefully and prayerfully about what we're passing yeah. on to the next generation. Yeah. And I, I found that really helpful. And here's the thing. Remember, the owner has entrusted the cargo to you, 
not to your kids. Now, it's good to pass on an inheritance, but because the owner is going to say, what did you do with what I entrusted to you, with the cargo I put on your ship? You need to think about how is this money going to be used once I'm gone? Yeah, that's good. Okay, I have a, a testimony I'm going to share that came Okay, in. good. This is, this I is love good. that. This is good. It says, in October of 2016, we were, faced, we were facing a mountain of credit card debt from unwise handling of our finances. Although many life circumstances led up to our massive debt, we weren't handling our money God's way. Mm. But then we began our journey to tackle the debt. Many times we didn't know where the money could come, would come from. We couldn't be late in our payments, and the Lord knew that, and we were never once lacking or late. Fast forward to January 2021, and praise God that we just this week sent our final payment to our payoff of our original total of 69000 about $69,000. God is faithful. Wow, could we just yeah. applaud that, whether you're online or here? Awesome, awesome, awesome. What a great testimony. So yeah, so just to and that's that. all to the glory of God. Absolutely. Okay, so our next question says, what is the godly view of a retirement fund? If we are to have an eternal perspective on money, so what advice would you give about Okay, so I, I've commented a little bit on that, and I think there's people preparing for retirement, and we start thinking it's all on us, but ultimately in God's economy, our security is not in our retirement portfolio. God does tell us, as we've seen in the series, to lay up money for those years when we can't work. That's just being wise. People of the Spirit should be wise in doing that. I think where we need to be careful is when we listen to the world when they tell us how much we have right. to have. You'll never be secure if you don't have this. Don't believe all that. Your security is ultimately in God. You may never get the nest egg or the retirement amount the world tells you to have. That doesn't mean you won't be secure. It doesn't mean you won't have peace. It's because ultimately it comes from the Lord. I do think we need to plan and prepare. And again, how much are you going to live on in retirement? Those will be choices you make. Is it all selfish? Here's what I think is happening in our economy and in our world today. We think we work 40, 50 years, whatever the Lord gives us, and then the rest of the money is mine to right. do whatever I want. I just think that's a long pers wrong perspective. I think we need to run the race that God set before us all the way to the end. And I think we need to be mindful of what we're doing in retirement. I'm not suggesting for a moment it's wrong to travel, to go to different places and do different things and enjoy some retirement. I just think we need to be careful because of the message that the world is giving us that that's what we're living right. for. There's more. Right. There's more that God wants to do. And let me just say, could I speak to the seniors here? You have more to give in the wisdom of God and the experience of God that this generation needs to hear. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes it feels like they don't care, they don't want to hear, but I'm telling you there's some things you can't get on the internet. You can get a lot of knowledge, but what you can't get is the experience of people that have lived for Christ all their lives and how they've handled money. I remember I had a conversation with my dad. He was in his late 70s, and I said, Dad, is there ever a time where you did not uh, or were not concerned about money? 
Now, he had prepared for retirement. He had already been in retirement for probably 16, 17 years. And he said no. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting how much money can be the focus of our lives? And I think we just need to be careful. Do what we can. Trust God. Prepare. Absolutely. Maybe one more question. Okay, then I like this last one we'll end with. Someone texted in and says, Pastor Tom, what advice that you would give to your former self that you wish you would have known or done 20 or 30 years ago? Wow, great question. Uh, I would say this. uh, Early in my life, uh, Kathy and I uh, got into debt. We got into consumer debt. It was long before I was a pastor here. And uh, I could make all kinds of excuses for why we did. We had uh, car payments. We had credit card payments, uh, debt. And uh, it was, it was a, a burden, and that we were in bondage to it. And God was teaching me some things about it. And here's what he taught me. And I, I, it's embarrassing to even share. Uh, I didn't understand generosity. Now, most people think you start with debt and then you become generous. I think there's a fallacy in that thinking. I think when we begin to give from the owner, right, whatever he entrusts to us, even while we're in debt, he begins to bless and reward that we're looking at the world from his viewpoint and not ours. So now, let me finish the story real quickly. I had a friend who was a Christ follower, he came to me and he said, Tom, I want to pay for all your debt. I want to remove it. That was a gift from God. And Kathy and I, we look back at that moment and we vowed we would never go there again. Debt is dangerous. And so my takeaway was avoid debt, Yes, but the generosity question because that is the only antidote. It's the only vaccine that we have against the materialism of this world is to give and to give generously. Yeah, that's good. It's hard to be generous, especially if you feel like your finances are tight and you're in debt. You feel like I can't give anymore. I can't be generous. But I think to be bold and to be generous in in the midst of that that's right. something very powerful. And, and I know there's some financial people out there that are saying, oh, wait till you get out of debt. I'm thinking that's a dangerous position. It's always better. If God's giving you resources, mm-hmm. you should be giving back on them. You will not regret it. Someday you will stand face to face with the Lord and you're going to have to give an account. And all we're asking in this message, this series today, is how does God view how you've handled his money? Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for Lori coming up here and uh, bringing this. Thank you for each person here in person. Thank you for the people online. God, we need you to remind us of your word. We need you to remind us of your truth. We need you to refresh our memories and help us, God, by the power of your spirit. We can't do this alone. We need your spirit to lead us into these truths. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.